2: My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot,
0: The group looked at the strange individual cloaked in a tapestry of black clothing. His face was shrouded by his hood's shadow, keeping his visage as much a secret as his intents. Foreign stepped forward. You speak our language. How? And how exactly do you know to expect us? The man barely moved, his head turning slightly, his countenance still protected by blackness.
1: We've known of your arrival the moment your crafts hit the shores of Gion. We have... ways of knowing such things. As for your language, we are not as ignorant as our neighbors. There were others like you here before, although I do not believe they came here willingly. In fact, they stated they woke up here. Luckily, they made their way to our city, and we gave them shelter. In the process, we learned
0: their language, and they learned ours. People... people were here? But how? The Great Darkness. You must have displaced them here. Millions of such cases were reported worldwide, including yourself, Dr. Morrigan. There's no reason it shouldn't have happened here. Uh, I suppose you're right. Wesley turned toward the shrouded man. Where are the people now? Are they, are they still here? The man sighed.
1: I'm afraid they were killed during a raid. I believe you've met our neighbors, the children of Amara. They infiltrate our city
0: from time to time.
1: I'm afraid they collapsed the building they were living in. tragic
0: accident, to be sure. Wesley looked at his compatriots, an expression of confusion and disbelief. The others shared the same countenance. Picking up on the men's collective unease, the cloaked man continued. Of course, you're skeptical. I don't
1: blame you. After all, you've no reason to trust me. But as I see it, you've little choice. I hate putting it that way, but... I'm a realist, and Gion
0: is not a merciful place. The team looked at each other, a grimace of hesitant acknowledgement on their face. I suppose you're right. Where do we go from here?
1: You come with me into our beloved city, Destra. There we will continue our
0: talks, get to know one another. Wesley, shaking, pointed to the three giant things looming over the man. Are Are they... They are
1: servants, nothing more. Despite their appearance, they're no threat to you."
0: Wesley nodded. Salvatore walked up to Vorn and whispered, Uh, are we really gonna, you know, uh, fucking follow these freaks? The jelly things acted like they were dangerous. Well, the jelly things aren't here right now, so I'm afraid we have little choice but to go with the man. Fucking great. The man looked at the group silently. His patience seemingly an infinite renewable resource.
1: My name is Alaric, by the way. Shall we go?
0: The group looked at each other and nodded. (sighs) Lead the way. Hesperius suddenly chimed in. Oh, this won't lead to anything terrible. But worry not, little Wesley. I will slaughter whatever beasts they throw at us. But I am afraid this is likely the end of the line for your friends. Good riddance, I say. They've become a burden. I see you're your optimistic and peppy self. You know anything about these beings? Not a thing. But I know a con when I hear one. What exactly their plan is, I don't know. But I can assure you, it's not to your benefit. (laughs) Wesley stayed silent and followed the man down the muddy path. His eyes jetted back and forth, scanning his surroundings with the fervor of a nervous gazelle on the Serengeti. The others looked about with the same trepidation, except Moffat. He had a certain complacency about him, but there was more than that. Beneath the stoic facade, he could sense a protected sorrow, a sadness hidden beneath the silly Victorian suit and swagger. Something was up with him. He knew deep down in his bones, but he couldn't talk to him now. He didn't want to raise any suspicions of the man guiding them. As such, he silently plodded on. As the group approached the city, Wesley couldn't help but be amazed by what he saw. Thus far, Gremlin had been a macabre landscape of dilapidated towns, horrifying monuments, and gruesome predatory terrain. While the current scenery was not beautiful by any stretch of the imagination, it had a certain ingenuity that lent itself to reverence, if only scientific reverence. Towers jutted into the black clouds, strange muscular tendons holding up various pylons and balconies. Others possessed titanic eyes fused with alien technologies that whirled and glowed with a cobalt effulgence that burned through the wandering mists. What looked like large lightning rods were glistening organics jutting straight up into the sky, the lightning snaking down their wet bodies, electric fingers spreading out, feeding the surrounding buildings with light. It all still had a morbid aesthetic, as if it were purposely built to reflect the monstrous nature of the science these Belphine engaged in. Houses and other structures were chimeras of machines and alien biologics, working together in infernal synergy. Like everything else in Grimland, there was a darkness to it all, a taint of something wicked coursing through its metropolitan veins. He realized that such darkness always took on a unique form wherever they went. He was curious what horrible symmetries might emerge from this place. Foreign walked up to the man they had yet to truly see. Which should we expect upon our arrival to your city, Alaric?
1: You will be greeted by others like me, heads of their respective gloros. A house, it says, uh, your kind may call it. Each gloros presides over certain parts of the city, lending their specialized skills to the betterment of the community and our people.
0: And, uh, why don't you fill us in on the weird fucking creatures you make here? Seems everyone we meet can't stop raving about them. Sal! Christ! It's quite alright, my friend.
1: Many rumors circulate about us. A popular one is that we possess the heart of the Prince of Snakes and use his pumping blood for our experiments. Others conjecture we're creating our own prince, a challenger to the throne of Gion. Is any of it true? <laughs> our secrets are our own, but I can assure you that the heart of the Prince of Snakes is not within our position. But other things are. A rather ominous
0: answer, Mr. Alaric. Care to elaborate?
1: I'm quite sure you've learned by now that Guillaume is not a hospitable place. To live in it is to become as fearsome as one's enemies. Yes, We have not shied away from that, but have embraced it. Our creations are harbages of doom, death-given mass, and all the dark accoutrements the devil can supply. A ways back, we walked through a place littered with... things. Were those yours? Ah, the Plains of the Broken. Not all of our creations can be successes. Some do not properly adapt. And so they are discarded to the Plains. Though no longer filled with life, their bodies act as effective deterrence to most trespassers. Sometimes we return there together organics or genetic materials, but for the most part it is
0: little more than a graveyard of failures. And where do you get the materials for these creations? Uh, I could only inspect briefly, but... I saw that you can seamlessly merge non-biological materials with a biological form. Not via surgical methods, it seems, but by somehow integrating it into the very genetic makeup of the creature. How is that even possible? The man was quiet, seemingly unwilling to divulge their process's specifics. Wesley let it go and asked another question. So, what do you call these creatures, these creations? They are
1: called the Conyreth.
0: Wesley looked at the three hulking figures walking beside them. They were as different as snowflakes. One was about nine feet tall, with giant tusks jutting from its lower jowl. The rest of its mouth was lined with shark-like teeth, rows and rows of razor-sharp things stretching into the back of its mouth. Large snake-like eyes peppered its face and head, and strange black stone horns with red glowing sigils crowned its skull. The second was shorter but more muscular, bizarre metal tendrils writhing in its mouth jagged jade claws adorning its thick fingers. It had only two eyes, however, they didn't seem organic, but rather some blasphemous fusion between crystal and optical tissue. Finally, the third creature was tall and slender, its face an alien configuration of mouths and teeth, each orifice dripping with bile and other unidentifiable fluids. Its arms, which were sinewy and sleek, sported sharp spines that flexed and eased with a certain mechanistic cadence. In its left hand, it carried what looked like a gigantic mace that seemed far too large to heft. All in all, they were walking nightmares, but nightmares that had been designed rather than conjured, crafted instead of born. After about ten minutes of walking, the group entered the city proper. Houses reflected the rigid symmetry of precise construction, though still maintaining a macabre flourish that seemed to permeate each populated place they visited. However, there were also more modern structures, containing the sleekness and simplicity of contemporary architecture. But even with those, there was an essence of poison, a tainted aspect that surrounded their bodies like some kind of black halo. Other men and women were on the streets, all covered in ornate shrouds. Occasionally, strange mechanical arms slipped out from under them, grabbing something nearby or hoisting them onto some stairs. He could even hear the subtle click of metal and robotics beneath Alaric's cloak and the moist sounds of other appendages slipping and moving about. There was no doubt Alaric wasn't human, but Wesley wondered just how inhuman he was. At every corner and gate they passed were Chimerith, scowling and scanning their surroundings, Goliaths protecting their more David-like masters. The things glared at Wesley and his friends, a sinister intelligence toiling behind their eyes, or at least, those that had them. There were also other beasts, creatures seemingly made for labor, hefting building materials here and there. Their biologics adapted explicitly to their task. Wesley saw cloaked figures riding in onyx horse carriages led by centipede-like beasts, their hundreds of biomechanical legs rapidly scurrying down the cobblestone road and, sometimes up the sides of buildings. Other grotesque means of transportation range from elephant-sized to car-sized creatures carrying their riders to and from various locations. In truth, it was like walking through the brain of a mad scientist, exploring their dark genius while simultaneously witnessing the insanity that bred it. However, Alaric seemed to tolerate their ogling well enough, slowing down as they took in the outre nature of the city.
1: I understand that this may be all a bit... Overwhelming. From what I understand, your kind has not yet mastered bioengineering, bioetherics, or bioalchemy. On the contrary, we have many who are well versed in those fields. However, their validity is often called into question by society's more close-minded scientists. Have them live in a city that is always under siege, and you will see just how quickly they become open-minded.
0: Allaire continued to lead them through a maze of streets and paths, each revealing some new and strange creation. Machine, animal, and mineral chimeras. Finally, they reached a road with a massive cathedral-like structure at its end. It had a theological tinge, as if it were religious in some way. It possessed rose windows, pylons, and flying buttresses. But other parts were clad with industrial elements. Sharp edges, extensive warehouse-like add-ons. Roof trusses, galvanized iron sheet walls. Like the creatures they had created, the building seemed to be a hodgepodge of architectural motifs. But they were seamlessly merged, sleekly converging into one another. The group walked up a series of steps until they were at the front of the building, decorated with several cloaked statues and a large, metal ornate door.
1: This is the house of the five Gloros. It is where you will meet the other leaders in our community. Hopefully, it will be as fruitful for you as it is for us. We can even mutually benefit from each other.
0: Come. A bizarre tendril emerged from the side of the door, something bionic that quickly latched onto Larry's right eye. A subtle buzzing noise emanated from it for a moment or two, then retracted back into the wall. The door slid open immediately after, the electric hum of it assuring Wesley that it was indeed mechanical. Upon entering, the place expanded, a giant dome ceiling suddenly looming above them, and more glowing sigils adorning its marble-like skin. The floors were onyx black, polished, and adorned with calligraphy-like writing. Hideous statues of the chimerith decorated the place, in the corners of archways, guarding the sides of doors, casting their shadows from large stone pillars, and decorating various parts of the mammoth room. Paintings also adorned the walls, and it was the first glimpse of the Balfean that he had seen. They were roughly humanoid, but altered in ways not dissimilar to what they saw in Miserith. However, much of the Balfine's strangeness stemmed from alterations they seemingly made. Biomechanical accoutrements covered their bodies and faces, and Baroque tattoos wound down them. Some possessed multiple appendages, many complemented by biomechanical strata. Like the beasts they created, the integration seemed seamless, as if the synthetics were innate. The Balfine appeared not against using their own bodies for experimentation, which was noble to Wesley in a weird sort of way. Salvatore walked up to Wesley, Warren, and Moffat. This place creeps me the fuck out. Those monsters are fucking everywhere. And did you see the goddamn centipede horse coach? It was a fucking giant centipede leading a horse coach. That went up the fucking wall! We're quite aware, Salvatore. But they haven't given us reason for alarm yet. So let's just play it cool. What the fuck are we gonna do if they turn? We ain't got River to pull our asses out of the fire no more. The men were silent before one of them could say something. Alaric called to them.
1: Down this way, my friends. The rest are waiting in the Gloros Council Hall. I'll introduce you to the heads of the various Gloros there, and we can continue our discussions. Moffat.
0: Moffat. This would be a good time to tell us if anything is up. Moffat simply shrugged his shoulders and shook his head. Oh, haven't the foggiest, Dr. Morrigan? (sighs) It'd be best if we didn't keep our host waiting. Muffet's eyes moved over the group. However, they stayed on Salvatore for a few seconds longer than the others. As Muffet was wont to do, he resumed his usual demeanor. The group followed Alaric down the hall. As they went, they could see intricate designs traveling the length of the walls, frameworks adorned with strange metal works that looked like some abstract artwork exhibit. They passed multiple hallways, the throats of which sometimes stretched into an abyss. Tiny bits of effulgence occasionally lighting them up like the bioluminescent life in the Mariana Trench. Some corridors seemed to go off into colder, more sterile areas, similar to what he had seen in labs. He wondered if this is where some of the experimentation took place. It would be an odd place to do it, being this building was for more bureaucratic and political purposes. Then again, this place's theme was integration of a sort, an attempt to unify disparate forces. He would have to wait and see. They were met with a giant door when they finally arrived at their destination. It was made from what seemed to be some polished gray alloy, five effulgent sigils bedecking its surface. As before, a tendril, not unlike a large optic nerve, slithered out from the wall and hovered above Alaric. Smaller metallic tendrils jutted out from it, at their end small syringe-like protuberances. They plunged into the man's arm and then quickly retracted. Then, more strange tendrils shot out from the side of the door each one hovering over Wesley and his comrades, waiting. Uh, what the fuck is this?
1: I'm afraid it's a security protocol. A blood sample is necessary for analysis. We have thousands of genetic profiles, you see. If any of yours match
0: that of our enemies, well. What the fuck do you mean, well? Well, what? These fucking things will kill us? You needn't worry.
1: If you are what you
0: say you are, there won't be any problems. You are what you say you are, yes? The group became collectively nervous. Not because they doubted what they were, but because they didn't know if these alien machines were trustworthy or just the next step to their inevitable doom. Uh, help me out here, Asparagus. Um, Am I going to show up a fucking monster on this thing?
2: You have nothing
0: to worry about, little Wesley. Our bond is spiritual, bioetheric. Your genetic makeup is still that of a supposedly evolved ape.
1: At the risk of sounding like a broken record, we...
0: Don't have a choice. Yeah, 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 got it. Uh, just fucking poke me, or uh, whatever the hell you're gonna do. The group solemnly agreed, and the metallic tentacles rapidly sent needles into their skin and drew blood. It was relatively painless, if not unnecessarily invasive. Soon the metallic things retracted back into the wall, and strange bioelectronic sounds whispered through the console. Then the thing voiced a few beeps and a panel with a screen detached from another portion of the wall, setting itself up in front of Alaric. He scrutinized the item for a moment or two and then placed his hand on the thing's glass panel, at which point the giant doors opened.
1: Gentlemen, I give you the heads of the five Cloros.
0: Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at Maltopia.com.
2: Planning for your next trip?